0: evening church If you return your bibles to 1st Timothy chapter 4 starting at verse 1 1st Timothy chapter 4 verse 1 and we read all the way down to verse 5 and if you are able please rise for the reading of the scriptures Today's title for the sermon is the spirit's warning the spirit's warning For the passage reads, Now the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will depart from the faith, paying paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons through the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are seared. They forbid marriage and demand abstinence or abstinence from food that God created to be received with gratitude. By those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected, for it is received with thanksgiving, since it is sanctified by the word of God and by prayer. Let us go to our Lord God in prayer once again. Lord, we thank you so much for your word and for your message, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your work upon the cross. We thank you, Lord, for all the goodness that you continue to show, continue to show and bless us with each and every day. We thank you, Lord, that we have a building that we can come to to worship you, to honor you. We thank you, Lord, for. Bibles that we can have in our homes. Technology that we can be able to seek out your word and to dig deeper into your scripture. We thank you, Lord, for. Agents such as angels who come and help us in our daily walk. We thank you, Lord, for those who came before us, who remain faithful to your word, never compromising it. Lord, I just ask you, Father, to help us to pay close attention to the warning that you have presented here in this passage. Let not the comforts of this world depart from your word, from your warning. May it encourage us, bolding us. May it transform us For we know that the day is coming soon, and the enemy knows it as well. We thank you, Lord, and we pray this in your son, Jesus Christ's name, and all the God's people say, amen. You may be seated, church. So I want to begin by opening up two historical events. The first... The bombing of Pearl Harbor. The Japanese bombing of Pearl Harbor drove the United States into an inevitable fight called World War II. Before the attack, Japan was known to gather intelligence on the US military and carry out reconnaissance operations along the US coast. Three days before the attack, President Franklin Roosevelt was warned that Japan was staging an attack on U.S. soil. Before then, General William Billy Mitchell, a former U.S. Army officer, had warned that Japan um, would lodge an unexpected attack on Hawaii, Alaska, and the Philippines without declaring war. The U.S. ignored all these warnings and was so confident that Japan would never attack that they even put a pilot who wasn't skilled in radar, radar operations in charge of a, of a radar station observing the part of the ocean from which the attack came. When the pilot was told that some large blimps, which could only mean that a massive air fleet was approaching, had appeared on the radar He told the operators not to worry about them. They didn't. And nearly 2,500 servicemen ended up dead. Conspiracy theorists, however, believe that President Roosevelt deliberately allowed the Japanese to attack Pearl Harbor so that the U.S. could have a legitimate reason to get involved in the war. The second event the eruption of Mount, I'm going to butcher this name, Vusuvius. I totally probably messed that up. But um, in seven, um, sorry. In seven, seven, I don't know why my brain is not computing. In 79 A.D., Finally got it out. All right. The mighty Mount uh, Vusuvius exploded and destroyed Pompeii, the ancient ancient city of Rome. Though this came as a surprise for the residents, the the eruption was not sudden at all. Other cities around Mount Vusuvius (laughs) had had undergone a similar fate as that of Pompeii. Days before the disaster, there were signs from, natu- uh, from nature that people surely missed. The grounds repeatedly shook for short durations and for several days while the mountains made evil sounds. The sea around the city gave out boiling water and the animals ran from the land. Yet, despite these obvious signs, the people of Pompeii lived, in obliv- lived an oblivious life until that fateful day. These two historical events should help us to understand hours, if not minutes, before any disaster strikes, there are warning signs that are usually not hard to miss. If not warning signs, nature sends out signals that cannot be overlooked. Warning signs indicate a potential hazard, danger, or Condition requiring special attention. In fact, when it comes to warning signs, we have our our, our road systems. There are plenty of warning signs in, to indicate hazards on the road. These signs uh, these signs warn drivers on the roads and highways of unexpected or danger or dangerous conditions that might call for reduction of speed or an action in the, uh, in excuse me or a, or an action in the interest of safety so church tonight's passage paul warns us of a danger that requires special attention there are signals that the holy spirit sent out to christians that cannot be overlooked as believers we must heed the Spirit's warning, pay close attention, and do what the Holy Spirit suggests. So the central idea of this passage here is that the Holy Spirit warns Christians of, intimate, uh, of an intimate departure from the faith. Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit warns Christians of an intimate departure from the faith. You see, this passage is going to reveal to us two critical things how to recognize apostasy and apostate teachers and why apostate teaching is so deadly. Now, most people know this passage of Scripture as the great apostasy. Now, depending on your Bible translations, you may have different titles for it. So, for instance, in the the NSAB, in the in the ninety five version calls it the apostasy the apostasy'm not sure if i'm pronouncing that right um the new can- new the new king can okay, let me pause for a minute <laughs> i i find it quite fascinating because this passage is 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 talking about the devil's work it's talking about demons who Satan uses to fork God's plans. And and I find it right now that it's no surprise that he's at work trying to disrupt me, trying to confuse me, trying to make me feel as if you cannot do this. But I know that the Holy Spirit is with me and I know that he's going to carry me through. So I would just ask you to please pray for me, to please pray for this message and do not allow the enemy to cause any more disruption. Thank you. The New King, the New King James Version calls it falling away. And the, e, the ESV calls it some will depart from the faith. Now, most titles for this passage are warning signs that point to apostasy. Now, what exactly is it? What what is apostasy? Well, apostasy is defined as a rebellion, an abandonment of the truth, defiance of an established system or authority. That's what apostasy is. So Paul goes on to say in verse 1, Now, the Spirit explicitly says, that in later times some will depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons. You see, the phrase, some will depart, is an apostate, an individual who willfully abandons the faith. And the New Testament has its share of apostates, like Judas, Demas, and the false disciples of John chapter 6, verse 66, who all, abandon the faith. Now, the faith that is being described here is the essential teachings of that of the Christian faith. That's where they have departed from. Now, there's something important that we need to understand. That an apostate is not someone who is struggling to believe, but who willfully leaves the biblical faith That he at once professed, meaning that he has severed all ties to the Christian view of reality and the way of life. They have no desires to love the brothers and sisters in the church. No desires to have the living God dwell within their hearts and their minds. No desire to be the the pillar of truth, the foundation. That of the gospel. They don't want to be protectors of it. They want to sever all ties. So the Holy Spirit explicitly warned us of that reality. The Spirit informs us that some will depart from the faith. This warning is not a passive suggestion here, but it is a divine prophetic prediction that should really strike our hearts. It should really strike our hearts, meaning that people inside this church can be apostates they will depart from the church and I have witnessed that in my previous church when there have been several people really caught me by surprise who I thought that they were really solid in their faith ended up being apostate this is nothing new but it should really strike our hearts You see, this prophecy was a warning by a direct revelation from the Holy Spirit to Paul. So I want us to understand that it is God that is saying this. He is letting us know that there is going to be an intimate departure from the faith. And it's going to take place in the household of God. And this prophecy is to take place when? In later times in later times so when the spirit mentions later times we need to understand that this is this, that this do not point to a specific period in the future but it refers to the days before the second coming of Christ you see the first coming of Jesus ushered in the later times and 1 john chapter 2 verses 18 supports this fact That when it says that children, it is the last hour, it is the last hour. And first Peter chapter two, verse 18 supports this fact as well, that it reads that he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. But it was revealed in these last times for you. These last times. Last hour, last times. The later times. Are the error that both the Apostle Paul and we live in. And when I'm talking about we, I'm talking about Christians today. We are living into, in the latter times. In verse one, Paul redirects the focus on the dangers of men and women departing from the faith by explaining the means and the methods in which they will depart, for it says that some will depart from the faith, paying paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. You see, they will leave by what? By paying attention to. That is the means. The method. Now, this paying attention to is more than what it seems. For the Bible describes this as an act of following, obeying, and giving allegiance to. To whom? To deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. This is precisely what the enemy wants. What the enemy desires. And he's been doing this for a very long time. Church, we need to remember, we need to remind ourselves that the earth is a battleground. It is a battleground. In Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12, it reads, for, it reads that, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil, sp- uh, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. You see, church, there are two kingdoms in action on earth, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. The kingdom of Satan has a enlistment a, a, a advertisement here to draw humanity to his side. And the strategy he uses is what the Bible describes as the world. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, it says, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, meaning not from God, the God of heaven, not from Jesus, not from the Holy Spirit, but is from the world. Satan's world system is based on the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of one's possession. He wants to use the works of the flesh to gain soldiers for his cause, for his kingdom. For in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19, it says that now the works of the flesh are obvious, sexual morality, moral impurity, uh, promiscuity, uh, promiscuity, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, decisions, factions. There's envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. He uses those methods to gain agents for his kingdom. But he has other methods of recruitment as well. He will use miraculous signs. In Matthew chapter 24, verses 24, it reads that for false messiahs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible even the elect. He will use false teachings in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 3 through 4. But I fear that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your minds may be seduced from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if a person comes and preaches another Jesus whom we did not preach or you receive a different spirit which you had not received or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you put up with it splendidly. Just as there are many methods to Satan's recruitment, we need to understand that he is not the only one working in his office. (coughs) He has agents to assist in his recruitment. The Bible describes them as demons. You see, when Satan chose to rebel against God, there was a significant number of angels who followed his rebellion. You see, the the demon's primary objective is to battle and counter God's will in the lives of people everywhere, believers and non-believers alike. You see, First Peter chapter 5 tells us this. It says that be sober-minded and be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone, anyone he can devour. So it's not just the believers. He's also looking to devour that of the non-believers. Remember that Satan wants to establish a kingdom. And he wants to have as many soldiers, as many agents on his side to see that happen. But nonetheless, what Paul is getting at here with that understanding is that, look, that demons are the root cause for the apostasy that is taking place within the church. You see, although false teachers taught their false ideas, they originated from de- deceitful spirits and demons. This is not to excuse the teachers for they were hypocritical liars. But nonetheless, Satan has sent his demons to, impl- to infiltrate the church, disrupting and destroying, trying to destroy God's kingdom. So we can be com- confident, that we can be assured that some people in the church today will undermine the truth and try to entice the saints to follow deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons. So we need to be careful, not to be foolish to think that all teachings and ideas are only human, and we ignore the possibility that demons may give ideas. Verse 2. Through the hypocrisy of liars whose conscience are seared. Satan is, is so subtle in everything that he does. So subtle that we live our lives in oblivion just like Pompeii. The citizens didn't see the warning signs, or all, the, all the, the warning signs were there, but they did not take heed to the warning signs. Satan is so subtle that he seeks to gain traction by using false teaching through human agents. And while the source is supernatural, the agents are natural. This supernatural false teaching is even more misleading because it comes f- through human agents. So in other words, it's hard to picture a demon because demons don't show themselves, right? See, we get our imagery from demons it's either from television, from movies, or even just stories. Who knows, some may have physically seen them. But rarely do they even show themselves, right? Rarely do they even pop out and say, hey, I'm demon so-and-so, right? That's why the deception is so powerful. Powerful. Because they use people, they basically use humanity. They'll use anyone father, mother, brother, sister, children. They will use anyone to spread their demonic teachings. You know, um, to kind of help bring that, that picture in, is like um how many of us have watched the movie Mission Impossible with Tom Cruise? Right? Now when, when Tom Cruise is trying to infiltrate a particular building, as per per se, the, the famous uh hanging on the wire thing or whatever the case may be, does he ever announce his presence to anyone? He was able to slip his way past all the the alarm systems, anything that would give alert to his presence, manage to steal information from 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 the or whoever he wants to abduct it from, and then slowly make his way out without being noticed that's how the enemy works and he's using false teachers to do that. And I will speak more of that as we move forward. So we know that demons use human human deceivers or human false teachers to speak their lies. Now, Paul went on to say that whose consciences are seared. Now, it is hard to know whether Paul meant by the statement and a slave person branded with his own uh, with his uh, with his owner's mark or a reference to the burning or numbing of their conscience. So I kind of had to do a little uh, digging here and ask the question is like what does the Bible say about conscience? Well, the Romans chapter two verses 14, 14 and 15 tells us that the conscience. Is the sense that affirms or condemns an action. It is the sensitivity to right and wrong that controls behavior. So let me read that verse to you. It reads, so when Gentiles who do not by nature have the law, do what the law demands. They are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Their conscience confirmed this. Their competing thoughts either accuse or even accuse them. Also the word conscious, going back to this epistle in 1 Timothy, Paul states in chapter 1 verses 19 that false teachers reject a good conscience. A good conscience. So we know that the conscience is a sensitivity to right and wrong that controls behavior. So I believe that the point the, the point that Paul makes here is, is that those false teachers who have taught who have taught false doctrines for so long, for a very long time, that their conscience have been seared that they do not feel guilt or remorse. Let me repeat that again, starting from the beginning. The conscience, it is the sensitivity to right and wrong that controls behavior. We're getting to the point that the false teachers have been teaching, 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 teaching false doctrine for a very, very, very long time. And as a result of that, their teachings, they don't care who they they teach, who they taught. There's no guilt. There's no remorse. You're probably wondering, what do you mean by guilt or remorse? By simply teaching. Meaning the effects of their teachings. The, the, The people that they're hurt with their teachings, they don't feel guilt or remorse. They don't care. You see, I'm reminded of that of Barry Manko. I shared, shared, uh, shared some things about Barry Manko uh, probably like a few months ago. How he was a con art, artist, he was a thief, he was a fraud. But all the while that he was, those things, he was a pastor of a church. And he used the church to steal $3 million And not just from the church, but church members that he will take money from them. That he will manipulate other people within the church to do his bidding. And then when he was caught and when it was all said and done. He wrote a letter to the church saying. You knew who I was. See, there was no repentance There was no remorse. There was no guilt. His conscience was seared because he's been doing it for so long. And so in the same way, when it comes to the false teachers, they've been teaching false doctrine for so long that their conscience is seared. They no longer have guilt or remorse. They don't care about the people that they hurt or the people they take advantage of. They don't they don't care at all. I believe that's what Paul is is getting at here. But also could mean that there was a branding of of, of such, a mark of who they serve, which is Satan. In verses 3, 4, and 5, it reads that they forbid marriage and demand abstinence from foods from foods that God created to be received with gratitude and by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, since it is sanctified by the word of God and by prayer. Here is the, the warning sign from the Spirit. As believers, we might expect that the enemy will use demon doctrines against the death and resurrection of Christ, the deity of Christ, or reject the salvation by grace. But that is not always the case. Remember that Satan is subtle in his approach and his demons are always subtle in their approach. And we begin to see that subtle approach here in verse three. It says for they forbid marriage and demand absence from foods that God created to be received with gratitude. This is not a, I would say a big stop sign for us to see as far as when it comes to biblical means, they're not denying baptism. They're not denying the means of, or or the works of that of salvation. They're not denying, they're not talking about justification. They're not talking about sanctification or glorification. Those, 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 those big ticket items that we, that we will know is just like, okay, well, there's, there's some issues with you, brother. You know, if if you're denying the resurrection and the death of, of that of Jesus Christ or that he rose again on the third day, because we can plainly see it's just like, obviously, this person is, is, is not saved if they're denying that. They're not talking about here the doctrines of the Trinity. What is what is taking place here in verse three is that what they're denying is that or what are their approaches? And it's a very subtle approach is that they forbid marriage. Absence from foods. You see, in verse 3, the false teachers have focused on two minor teachings in which I've already spoken of, the, the marriage and foods. There is really nothing flashy, nothing in your face. Because we know that when it comes to signal, uh, being single, there's nothing wrong with that, right? When it comes to fasting, there's nothing wrong with that, right? After all, the Bible teaches on these things. Being single, single, the Bible teaches on these things. In First Corinthians chapter seven, Paul t- taught, on, uh, taught, taught about singleness, right? So no harm, no play, not something that we' we'll probably pick up on. But the deception comes in seeing those little small components. Can wreck havoc within a church. As being an, air, an airplane mechanic and going out to the flight line and knowing that we're about to taxi this person, the the pilot off, and so that way they can go fly their mission. The one thing they always say is like, "Hey, we need to make sure that we that we uh, that we uh, scour the engine to to make certain that there is no uh, washer or nuts and bolts in the, uh, in the engine." Why? Because that one little tiny bolt or that one little tiny washer can damage that whole engine, which caused devastating effects. So for the pilot and those who are passengers of that airplane can lose their lives. So it's the same way with the false teachers when they're talking about marriage. And absence from foods. There are people out there that will use their singleness to to say that I am able to do more for the kingdom than for the person who is married. Because Paul even said in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7, it's just like, you know, I wish that people would be as single as I, as I am. And then all of a sudden it stops there. See, that's how the enemy uses this subtle approach. See, I'm more holier than you because I'm able to do all sorts of things. I'm not bound by marriage. I'm not, bo- uh, I'm not bound by, uh, by children or by a wife. Look what I'm able to accomplish for the kingdom of God. And all of a sudden, the, the, the married people are looking at this, this person that is single. It's just like, man, because we got to understand that there are people, hearts who, who, are, who are really sold out for Christ. And the last thing they want to do is to, is to be a disappointment to them. And then all of a sudden, they're looking at their marriage and just like, man, I, I think I'm beginning to regret being married. You see how that one little thing can, can cause hot havoc in a marriage. Well, I want to be like so-and-so. I just want to be like single because I want to devote my life to to God. And I believe that the Spirit is leading me to to do so. And that's where Paul is getting at. He's like, look, ignoring that marriage ignoring that marriage is a gift is a gift from god that is created by god that is the def- uh, that is defined by god between one man and one woman for life should cause you to see a warning sign that is a red flag even when it comes to fasting even jesus even talked about how to properly fast because people would notice if people are fasting because their face will be all downcast and, and, you know, just like, oh, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm fasting right now, wherever the case may be. And Jesus said, well, they already received that reward. But there's nothing wrong with fasting. But the enemy will use that small little thing to get you To deny the goodness of God. I heard from someone. uh, I think it was either through a sermon or, or some sort. But it just definitely resonated in my ear. And for they said they said this is that false teachers love to forbid to forbid what the Bible allows. But they love to promote what the Bible forbids. You see, the false teachers reject God's revelation. They refuse to recognize that everything created by God is good. They will deny the goodness of God's creation. And so it is here that the Apostle Paul emphasizes that God's purpose in giving good things is so that humanity will will praise and, and and give glory to God in their enjoyment. Marriage is, is a good thing. It is. It is a good thing. It is. It is joy. It is joyous. My marriage to my wife is I'm full of joy. It's an enjoyment. And as a result of that enjoyment, I give praise to God that he has sent me Leslie. Because if it wasn't for Leslie in my life, then I wouldn't be the man that I am today. She helps mold me into the Christian man that I am today. And I thank God for that, and I praise him for that. She's given me two wonderful children. And I praise God for that. And although that I'm not single, I'm still doing the work of God. God has allowed me to be in his house here at Sovereign Way Christian Church. He has allowed me to serve under great leadership. I have the opportunity to, to teach and to preach, to serve in his kingdom. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with being single. Because you will have plenty of time to do all sorts of things with the Lord. For I remember when I was single, I spent... A great majority of the time in the church. And I was able to do so many things. And I praise God for that. For everything created by God is good. I fast a lot. I fast a lot. Matter of fact, I'm fasting right now. (laughs) But I don't need to reveal that to you. And I don't need to shove it in your face and say, I'm more holy than you because I fasted for 36 hours now. And my goal is to do 72 hours. I'm more holier than you. But see, that's what the thing, that's the those are the things that was taking place in the church of Ephesus. You see, there is always someone that thinking that they're more elite than someone else. My marriage is 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 more glorifying than your marriage. You see the, the, the division that is taking place? And it's over just a small little washer. And there's no need for that. Believers are complete in Christ and do not need to practice physical self-denial to gain salvation from sin and the righteousness of God. To summarize what we've learned tonight, I mean, first we need to understand that We are to heed the Spirit's warning. And the Spirit's warning is important. The Spirit's warning is about apostasy, that there's going to be a great departure from that of the faith. There are going to be apostates. There are going to be those within the church who are going to abandon the faith. And they're going to pay attention to that of the doctrines of demons and to deceitful spirits. And they will use those teachings in order to try to get you on Satan's side. And they will use means that is very subtle. They are the CIA agent. They are the 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 Um, the Tom Cruise of that of Mission Impossible. Because when you fail to to heed to the warning signs or you just overlook that of the warning signs it can create great disasters. We are living in later times and we see those disasters happening. This is nothing new. It was not too long ago that the SBC had a report in regards to sexual misconduct within the church. I have seen and witnessed churches that have uh, split. Why? Because of musical styles. Something so small that that can cause a, a church to split. Churches split over by the clothes you wear. musical instruments and the spirit is telling us is like look these are warning signs when someone is over here preaching something that is contrary to that of the gospel that goes against really the goodness of that of God hey that's a red flag There are three warning signs I want to give you tonight when it comes to the apostates, when it comes to false teachings. One, it separates Christians from God. It separates Christians from God. Two, it caused divisions among Christians. And then three, It caused Christians to be preoccupied with themselves, preoccupied with themselves. Meaning it's just like, hey, I'm fasting or I'm single. I'm able to do all these other things that you cannot do. They're preoccupied with themselves. Those are the three things. Let me say it again. It separates Christians from God. It causes division among among Christians and it causes them to be preoccupied with themselves. So the question must be asked: Is well, <coughs> excuse me, how can we ca- counteract them? Well, the First Thessalonians chapter five verses twenty-one tells us that test everything. Test everything. You reason with Scripture, and do not base it on feelings or emotions, because there are so many professed Christians that say, "Well, this is from the Word of God." And you ask him why? It's because it's in the hearts of my heart. That's just what I feel. And they base everything upon emotions. That's how they try to reason with the scripture. No, we have the word of God. Let's go to it biblically and let's see if these things are true or not. You test everything. Also, in 1 John chapter 4 verse 1, it says, "Dear friends, do not believe every spirit. Do not believe Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Test the spirits to see if they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. There must be a testing. I know that these movies, when they show these demons, and and for some reason they show them as, as our friends or wherever the case may be, they're not our friends. As believers, they are our enemy. But we need to also understand that they do exist. We cannot ignore the fact or even even overlook that somehow they, they don't exist because we don't see them vividly right in front of us or physically present right before us. The Bible teaches, I mean, just many topics when it comes to that of demons especially in the new testament but we are to test every spirit and also want to say lastly is that as believers as believers we need to be aware that the enemy can influence us without realizing it remember he's very subtle in his approach very subtle in his approach in Matthew chapter 16 Verse 21 down to 23, it reads that from, from then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things for, from the elders, chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. But Peter, 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 who is an apostle that, God, that Jesus himself Personally call him an apostle, a disciple of that of Jesus Christ, who walked with Christ, said this, or did this, and said, "Well, Peter took him aside, meaning he took Jesus aside and began to rebuke Jesus. He says, "Oh no, Lord, this will never happen to you." And Jesus turned and told Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are are a hindrance to me because you are not thinking about God's concern, but human concerns. Jesus didn't say, get behind me, Peter. But Jesus was talking to Satan. Satan. and we all know that 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 peter is saved and you know he's been martyred for the faith he was crucified upside down and to the very to the very end he never uh denied christ but this serves as a warning that we can be influenced by the enemy without even knowing it i am reminded of 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 a people that they will say that they're being led by the Spirit. And these are not just people. These are believers. These are brothers and sisters in Christ. These are people that have been in leadership positions that have been entrusted with the care of of certain people within the church to care for them. And then all of a sudden, they just get up and they abandon They leave their post, and they leave. And then when you confront them, and you say, well, where are you? Well, the the Holy Spirit is is, is guiding me to uh, this church for this particular moment or for this particular situation. And I say, church, do not accept that. Do not accept it because in first John chapter four, once it says you must test the spirits. So I sit there and I challenge him. I was like, well, how can you be someone in a position of leadership who the elders has entrusted you to minister to a group of people here in church? These are your brothers and sisters whom you are to love and to care for. But then you get up and you abandon them without even giving a notice or without any sort of communication. You can't tell me that you're being led by the spirit. Because I know that in Scripture it says that we are the family of God. We are to love one another, right? We have all the love one another's. But you cannot tell me that you're being led by the Spirit to just all of a sudden abandon and get up and just go. No, my friend, you are being used by an enemy to cause disruption within the local body. We need to be careful that we're not spiritually unfaithful to that of the local church. That we, have a, that we have a covenant relationship with. Because there are too many people dating other churches. While they should be faithful to the one that they have committed to. And it's not to say that you can't go and, and help another church if they're in need. For I remember that, uh, Josiah needed someone to come and preach at his church, and I was there to help him preach out his church because he was in need. But he understood that, look, that this is the church I have covenant with, and I will always remain faithful to it until God says otherwise. But there are people or those who are going out there and start dating other churches knowing that they're covenant with a local church. That is spiritual unfaithfulness. I'll call it spiritual adultery. It would make no sense that all of a sudden I coveted with my wife Leslie, and then it'll be okay for me to look at other dating sites or to visit other women's homes, knowing that I'm supposed to be committed to my wife. So why do we all of a sudden think that one on one end that is completely wrong? But then when it comes to the church or that of the household of God, that we think otherwise. Test the spirits. Be faithful to the one that you have covenant with. Look, church, these warning signs aren't forcing us to feel fearful that we should not fulfill the great commission, that we should not do the things that God has called us to do here in the local body. We should look at these warning signs seriously because the reality is, is that Satan and his, t- and his tactics are to use men and women within the church to cause a disruption within the church. The enemy is, is using whatever means and tactics in order to get people on his side. So in conclusion... I want to leave with this quote from Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon said, a time will come when the church has clowns entertaining the goats instead of shepherds feeding the sheep. When you ignore the warning signs, these things will take place within the church. You can go on YouTube and you can see the the nonsense that goes on. When people are sitting here in the house of the worship of God, singing hokey pokey, let's be like the Bereans in Acts seventeen eleven. Let's be noble as they are, to seeking out to see whether or not if these things are true. Whoever teaches these things, but don't allow the enemy to cause division in the body. Let's not be divided over the small things. So with that, let's go to our Lord God in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much, Lord, for your word. We thank you so much for your spirit, Lord. And I thank you so much for just carrying me through this because, man, I felt the weight of the enemy just trying to like, uh, trying to disrupt